wish we had Paul here today, instead of me standing here, that the Apostle Paul was standing here. Because I know exactly what he would say if he was here. The very first thing he would do, he would tell you his testimony. How he came to know Jesus as his Saviour and Lord. Why do I say that? Well, because Paul's testimony was something that he never tired of telling. Not only how he got saved, but lots of little testimonies throughout his letters. In the book of Acts, in chapter 9, where we're reading today, we read the testimony of how Saul, that was his name, before he became a Christian, we read how Saul came to know Jesus as a saviour, how he was saved. But in chapter 22 of Acts and in chapter 26 of Acts, we see Paul again taking the opportunity to share his testimony. In one of those instances, it was in front of a howling mob that had just tried to tear him from limb to limb. And he had just been rescued out of that and he said, let me talk to them. What was he going to say? He told them his testimony. And then some years later, he's brought in chains in front of a king. God had said that he would testify for him in front of kings. In front of a king. And he was given the opportunity to defend himself because he hadn't done anything wrong. And what did he do? He told the king his testimony. And over and over in his letters, we see little bits here and there of him testifying, telling about how he came to know the Lord, what was important to him in his salvation. A lot of personal testimony. So if he was standing here, I would have no doubt that he would be telling you his testimony. Why Paul? Lots of people have testimonies to tell. I have a testimony to tell. I think Paul had a very special privilege and opportunity in telling his testimony. Because Paul would have said himself, he would have said, before I was saved, I was the best of the best. And before I was saved, I was the worst of the worst. What does he mean, the best of the best, and the worst of the worst? Well, when he was writing to the church in Philippi, he told them, he told them, I have a righteousness under the law. I was a Pharisee. I kept the law of God. I was blameless in it. I'm sure he wasn't saying that he never broke any of it, but I can stand up in front of anyone. And I can testify, I can compare myself with anyone. I was better than anyone. All those details of the law, all the law of God and all the extra bit that the, bits that the Jews had added, I was kept those. I was righteous. Better than anyone. And then he writes to his friend Timothy and he tells him a different story. He tells him, I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man. Paul often talked about 
in those days when he tried to stamp out the church and he was violent about it. He would have gone not only in Jerusalem but Damascus, other places to take men and women who call themselves Christians and drag them off and put them in prison and if they were sent, sentenced to death he put his yes to that. He hated the Christians and he tried to stamp out the church of God. He had no time for them. They talked about Jesus as if he was the Messiah. They talked about Jesus as if he had risen from the dead. And yet Saul knew, no, Jesus is dead. And he hated the Christians. He says, I was the worst. I hated them so much. Violence was no problem to me. He says, I was the worst sinner. Well, how is that an opportunity for him to testify of how God saved him? Well, if he was the best of the best, maybe there's some even listening now and you're thinking, well, I'm good. I live a good life. I'm as good as anyone else. I don't do anyone any harm. I don't do any terrible things. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but... I'm as good as anyone else. Paul would say, I was better than you. He would. Not only in his goodness, in his religion, in everything he did, he said, I was righteous. You won't find fault in me. That is, and he would go on in his testimony to tell, until I realised, That my righteousness was worthless in front of God. My righteousness was rubbish, filth in front of God. In front of a holy God, my righteousness just didn't stand up. And I realized that what I really wanted, what I really deep down needed, was a righteousness from God, given by God to me, His righteousness. That comes from God and is by faith in Christ. He would have told you the same if he was standing here. You think you're quite good. Not in front of a holy God. I was better than you. And all that righteousness was rubbish in front of a holy God. But I needed God's righteousness. And he was willing to give me that when I put my faith in Christ. What about the worst of the worst? Well, maybe there's someone and you're listening and watching even now and you're thinking, well, I'm not saying I'm the worst, but really I know my life's not acceptable to God. I know I do a lot of things that don't please God. I know that my life has a lot of wrong in it. I have done things, thought things, said things that I know later I shouldn't have. I don't know if God would want me. I've given up on the thought that God might want me. I don't expect to get to heaven. What would Paul say to you? When he said he would say, Well, you're not as bad as I was. Did you try and stamp out God's church? Did you try and go around having Christians put in prison and having them put to death? Were you a blasphemer, a persecutor of God's people? 
trying to stamp out the church, weren't you? Well, not, not, not that bad. That was me, Paul says. I was worse than you. But then Paul would go on to say, but Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Not good people. He came to save sinners. And he says, I was the worst. In fact, Paul went on to say, that was one of the reasons that God showed me mercy because he wanted to use me as an, as an example to others. If I, the worst of sinners, Christ could show his unlimited patience. What an example that is to others who could believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul would say to you, you can go to heaven because Christ came and died for sinners. He came to save sinners. I love the fact that Paul has a testimony that he can share with anyone. And he can meet people where they're at. And he has a gospel of good news to share with them. Well then if we ask Paul, well, well tell us what's your testimony today? <laughs> are, are you still the best of the best? Or the worst of the worst? Where are you today? Well, Paul again would give us testimony. He says, well, the truth today, I don't live my life. Christ lives in me. The life I'm now living, I live by faith in Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. What a testimony Paul has for you. If you're not saved today, if you don't know that you have eternal life, if you don't know if your sins are forgiven, Paul would share with you and I would share with you. Jesus came to save you. He took your sin and he paid the punishment for it on the cross. You can have salvation today. So when we come to Acts chapter 9, and we come to an account of how Saul came to know the Lord. Why are we doing that? What's so important about this testimony that it's here in chapter 9 and a bit more in chapter 22 and a bit more in chapter 26? What's so important? It seemed to be more about Saul's salvation than anyone else. Why so important that God tells us about Saul's conversion? Well, you know the title of this series that we're uh, studying together on Sundays. The Church on the Move. And we go back to Acts chapter 1 verse 8 <clears throat> where Jesus speaking to his disciples just before he ascended back to heaven and he said to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So Jesus was giving them a job to do. You go. You make sure that the gospel moves. That's not what he was saying. First of all, he told them, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come to you, and he will come on you in power. 
So it's God, the Holy Spirit's power that they needed. They were just to be witnesses. They couldn't make the church move. They only could be used by God. It was God that was going to make the church move. Everything was of God. Remember the Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the ends of the earth? You know what God told Saul when he was in Jerusalem? We read about him being in Jerusalem. Another place we read what he said to Saul. Jesus said to Saul. He said to him, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Does that ring a bell? The ends of the earth? And we know that Saul, who changed his name to Paul, became one of the great missionaries, he and others. But one of the great missionaries in taking the gospel to the Gentiles, far outside Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So God was already at work. It was God who had started the work in Jerusalem. That day of Pentecost when over 3,000 were saved. And as they went into Judea and Samaria, we saw that it was God through the persecution. God moved them there so that they would share the good news there in Judea and Samaria. And now God was preparing for the next part of the move. Not ready for it yet. We don't get it for, for a few years later. But God was already preparing. Saul was the one he was going to use, along with others, in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. But God was starting now. And that's why we have Acts chapter 9. Here's God starting to prepare for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. How did he do that? Well, I don't know about you, but I enjoyed the account of Saul's conversion and what happened in those first 31 verses of chapter 9. I picked out six things that happened there. That was God's preparation to use Saul to go into the ends of the earth with the gospel. The first thing he did, he stopped Saul in his tracks. Right there on the road, he was on his way carrying out his task to get Christians, take them off to prison. On the road to Damascus, and Jesus showed himself to him and spoke to him. Jesus stopped Saul right in the tracks. He had to stop solid. He fell to the ground. He was blinded. And amazingly, the very Jesus who he hated and whose followers he was persecuting, he was persecuting Jesus himself, spoke to him. The very one who he, he argued with people, no, he couldn't have risen from the dead, was alive and speaking to him and he saw him. He was stopped in his tracks. The work that he was doing ended for him. That day, as sudden as that. That's the first thing God did. 
And it's what he wants to stop in each one of us. He wants to stop us from whatever's taking up our life because he wants to use us. And he may well, like Saul, just stop us in our tracks. The next thing that Jesus did was he humbled him. Paul had been a proud man. He had been a leader. He had power. He was a Pharisee with... uh, People respected him. And Paul was proud of that. Where is he now? As he gets up off the ground. He had to be led by the men who were with him. By the hand. And taken on into Damascus. How humbling for this great man. Not only that, but for three days, still blind, in a room in someone else's house, Saul dealt with God, or more truly, God dealt with Saul. God was humbling this proud man. We find that Saul is praying to God. He's fasting, he's not eating or drinking. God and Saul are together and God is dealing with him, firstly humbling him. And then the third thing that God did was he sent the man to show him the way of salvation. He sent Ananias. Now, Ananias didn't want to go at first and we can understand that. (laughs) This is a violent man. Who doesn't like Christians. But Ananias went. He obeyed God and he went. And as he met Saul. First thing he did. God did through Ananias. God gave Saul his sight back again. But there was far more than that. After three days. Of God dealing with his soul. With his heart. Ananias turned to him and said, Saul, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that moment, Saul called on the name of the Lord. We're told, he he himself wrote later, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. He called on the name of the Lord that day. His sins were washed away. He received the Holy Spirit. He was baptized. Saul was now one of those Christians that he had hated so much. But notice what God did to him in those three steps. He first of all stopped him in his tracks, in his work, in his life. Then he humbled him in front of God. And God demands that we be humbled in front of him. He humbles the pride and he humbled humbled Saul that day. And God dealt with his soul. I am sure the Holy Spirit convicted him of sin in his life. And then God sent someone to show him what he must do to be saved. And Saul was saved that day. God was preparing 
for the gospel reaching the ends of the earth. <laughs> Paul might have been humble, but he was still a brave man. He immediately in Damascus where he was started to preach to the Jews and he was now saying Jesus is the Messiah. What a change had happened in him. Jesus is the Messiah. I can prove it. I know it. I know it personally. I'm a witness of the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. God arranged disciples to come and protect Saul. God had a work for him. He was calling him to testify to the good news of God's grace. He had a work to do. It wasn't time for Saul to be put to death. So he sent disciples to protect them, both in Damascus and we read there in Jerusalem as well, where people there too wanted to kill him. He had turned, become a turncoat in their eyes. But God didn't allow him to be killed. God sent his disciples to protect them. In Damascus and in Jerusalem. And then we read that God brought Barnabas to encourage him, to befriend him, to speak up for him. Amongst the other Christians, the apostles and such, they weren't sure whether Saul had really come to know the Lord or not. Barnabas spoke up for him. I like Barnabas. His name means encourager. And he was a great encouragement to Saul. Maybe I have a special place in my heart for Barnabas because he also was a Cypriot. But God sent Barnabas to encourage him, to befriend him, to speak up for him amongst his people. And then God gave him his orders. I'm going to read Paul's account in Acts 26. This was many years later as he stood in front of a king and he told them his testimony. And he told them what Jesus had told him he was going to do. The orders that Jesus had given him. Listen to what he said. I am sending you to the Gentiles. To open their eyes. Smile a little bit. <laughs> we just read in Acts 9 of this man who had been blinded. God had blinded him and then opened his eyes. I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes. To turn them from darkness to light. From the power of Satan to God. So that they also may receive. The forgiveness of sins. And a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me, Jesus told Saul. I'm sending you to the Gentiles. It wasn't time then, in Acts 9. It's going to be a few years after that. But Paul now is remembering back and telling the king what happened all those years ago. Because Paul goes on to tell the king, I wasn't disobedient him. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also, I preach that they should repent and turn to God. 
and prove their repentance by their deeds. Oh, I'm way ahead of the story when we're thinking of the church and the move. This is all the ends of the earth. But here in Acts 9, we have God's preparation for that time, when the time would come. Preparing the man. I love that last verse that we read, verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. God was still at work in Judea and Samaria. And I want you to notice that in the verse. When it talks about them having peace, there wasn't peace still in Jerusalem for the believers there. They were still being persecuted. But in Judea and Samaria and Galilee, there the believers had a time of peace. Only God gives that peace. The peace that God gives is a deep, real peace. Not like the world's peace. It's a peace found in Jesus. So God gave them the peace. They were built up and strengthened in the faith. Who did that? Well, there were apostles, there were preachers, there were elders, there were teachers. Yes, there were. But these were people filled with the Spirit and used by the Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that was strengthening them. And it was the Holy Spirit that was encouraging them. And it was the Lord who was encouraged, was growing them in numbers. It was the Lord who was adding to their number as people were saved. So it was all a work of God. The peace, the strengthening or building up, the growing in numbers, the encouragement, it's all of God. Except one little phrase at the end says, living in the fear of the Lord. That was the believer's responsibility. God was doing the work of the church and the move. His gospel was getting out and he was using his church to do that. But it needed the church, God's people, to live in the fear of the Lord. The respect, the reverence, the obedience, the lordship of Christ was important to these believers. And it had to be if the church was going to move and it's not changed today. If the church is on the move today and if it's going, whether it's a church at Gilnark, whether it's a church in Northern Ireland, the church in the UK, the church in the world, if it's to be on the move with the gospel, God's people need to be living in the fear of the Lord. Knowing Christ as Lord and Master. There's a challenge for us. So I believe God would challenge all of us today. If we're not yet saved, we can see from Paul's testimonies that we should be saved and we can be saved. No one is left out. And you can have that salvation today. If, like Saul, you call on the Lord, you humble yourself in his presence, repent of your sin, and receive eternal life. 
if you do belong to him. How important our lives are that we live in the fear of the Lord. Otherwise, we're not much use to him. May God challenge us and encourage us as we seek to live for him and be part of the church on the move. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for Saul, for Paul. I thank you for telling us about him, how he was saved. Thank you for all his testimonies. And I thank you for his obedience to you and all the other believers in that early church in Judea and Samaria and Galilee. I thank you for the example that they are to us. And I pray, Father, just this morning, that your spirit will encourage us, teach us and challenge us and do a work in us that enables us to be used by you, to be your witnesses in our Jerusalem, in our Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Oh Father, I pray that your spirit will take your word into our hearts that we might accept it from you you might change us today. For I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.